This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This is a recording by Steve Anderson of A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court by Mark Twain. Chapter 9. The Tournament. They were always having grand tournaments there at Camelot, and very stirring and picturesque and ridiculous human bullfights they were, too, but just a little wearisome to the practical mind. However, I was generally on hand for two reasons. A man must not hold himself aloof from the things which his friends and community have at heart, if he would be liked, especially as a statesman. And, both as businessman and statesman, I wanted to study the tournament and see if I couldn't invent an improvement on it. That reminds me to remark, in passing, that the very first official thing I did in my administration, and it was on the very first day of it, too, was to start a patent office. For I knew that a country without a patent office and good patent laws was a crab and couldn't travel any way but sideways or backways. Things ran along, a tournament nearly every week, and now and then the boys used to want me to take a hand. I mean, Sir Lancelot and the rest. But I said I would by and by, no hurry yet, and too much government machinery to oil up and set to rights and start a-going. We had one tournament which was continued from day to day during more than a week, and as many as five hundred knights took part in it from first to last. There were weeks gathering. They came on horseback from everywhere, from the very ends of the country and even from beyond the sea, and many brought ladies and all brought squires and troops of servants. It was a most gaudy and gorgeous crowd as to costumery, and very characteristic of the country and the time, in the way of high animal spirits, innocent indecencies of language, and happy-hearted indifference to morals. It was fight or look on all day and every day, and sing, gamble, dance, carouse half the night every night. They had a most noble good time. You never saw such people, those banks of beautiful ladies, shining in their barbaric splendors, would see a knight sprawl from his horse in the lists with a lance shaft, the thickness of your ankle clean through him, and the blood spurting, and instead of fainting, they would clap their hands and crowd each other for a better view. Only sometimes one would dive into her handkerchief and look ostentatiously broken-hearted, and then you could lay two to one that there was a scandal there somewhere, and she was afraid that the public hadn't found it out. The noise at night would have been annoying to me ordinarily, but I didn't mind it in the present circumstances, because it kept me from hearing the quacks detaching legs and arms from the day's cripples. They ruined an uncommon good cross-cut saw for me, and broke the sawbuck too, but I let it pass. And as for my axe, well, I made up my mind that the next time I lent an axe to a surgeon... I would pick my century. I not only watched this tournament from day to day, 
but detailed an intelligent priest from my Department of Public Morals and Agriculture, and ordered him to report it. For it was my purpose, by and by, when I should have gotten the people along far enough to start a newspaper. The first thing you want in a new country is a patent office. Then work up your school system, and after that, out with your paper. A newspaper has its faults, and plenty of them. But no matter. It's hark from the tomb for a dead nation, and don't you forget it. You can't resurrect a dead nation without it. There isn't any way. So I wanted to sample things, and be finding out what sort of reporter material I might be able to rake together out of the 6th century when I should come to need it. Well, the priest did very well, considering. He got in all the details, and that is a good thing in a local item. You see, he had kept books for the undertaker department of his church when he was younger, and there, you know, the money's in the details. The more details, the more swag. Bearers, mutes, candles, prayers, everything counts. And if the bereaved don't buy prayers enough, you mark up your candles with a forked pencil, and your bill shows up all right. And he had a good knack at getting in the complimentary thing here and there about a knight that was likely to advertise. No, I mean a knight that had influence. And he also had a neat gift of exaggeration. For in his time he had kept door for a pious hermit who lived in a sty and worked miracles. Of course, this novice's report lacked whoop and crash and lurid description, and therefore wanted the true ring. But its antique wording was quaint and sweet and simple, and full of the fragrances and flavors of the time. And those little merits made up in a measure for its more important lacks. Here's an extract from it. Then Sir Brian de las Isles and Grumor Grumorisum, knights of the castle, encountered with Sir Agravel, and Sir Tor, and Sir Tor smote down Sir Grumor Grumorisum to the earth. Then came Sir Cadros of the Dolores Tower, and Sir Turquine, knights of the castle and there encountered them with Sir Percival de Guy and Sir Lomarc de la Guy, that were two brethren. And there encountered Sir Percival with Sir Cadros, and either brake their spears unto their hands, and then Sir Turquine with Sir Lomarc, and either of them smote down other horse and all to the earth, and either parties rescued other and horsed them again. And Sir Arnold and Sir Gouter, knights of the castle, encountered with Sir Brandes and Sir Kay, and these four knights encountered mightily, and brake their spears to their hands. Then came Sir Pentelope from the castle, and there encountered with him Sir Lionel, and there Sir Pertelope, the green knight, smote down Sir Lionel, brother to Sir Lancelot. All this was marked by noble heralds, who bear him best and their names. Then Sir Belabaris brake his spear upon Sir Gareth, but of that stroke Sir Belabaris fell to the earth. When Sir Galadin saw that, he bade Sir Gareth keep him, 
and Sir Gareth smote him to the earth. Then Sir Galahud begat a spear to avenge his brother, and in the same wise Sir Gareth served him, and Sir Dinadan and his brother Le Court Maltelier, and Sir Sagamore de la Desires, and Sir Dinadanus le Savage. All these he bare down with one spear. When King Alicent of Ireland saw Sir Gareth fare so, he marveled what he might be. That one time seemed green, and another time, at his again coming, he seemed blue. And thus, at every course that he rode to and fro, he changed his color, so that there might neither king nor knight have ready cognizance of him. Then Sir Aguisance, the king of Ireland, encountered with Sir Gareth, and there Sir Gareth smote him from his horse, saddle and all. And then came King Cadros of Scotland, and Sir Gareth smote him down, horse and man. And in the same wise he served King Uranus of the land of Gore. And then there came in Sir Bagdemagus, and Sir Gareth smote him down, horse and man, to the earth. And Bagdemanus' son, Maginanus, brake a spear upon Sir Gareth mightily and knightly. And then Sir Galahut, the noble prince, cried on high, Knight with the many colors, well hast thou jousted, now make thee ready that I may joust with thee. Sir Gareth heard him, and he gat a great spear, and so they encountered together. And there the prince brake his spear. But Sir Gareth smote him upon the left side of the helm, that he reeled here and there, and he had fallen down, and had not his men recovered him. Truly, said King Arthur, that knight with the many colors is a good knight. Wherefore, the king called unto him Sir Lancelot, and prayed him to encounter with that knight. Sir, said Sir Lancelot, I may as well find in my heart for to forbear him at this time, for he hath had travail enough this day. And when a good knight doth so well upon some day, it is no good knight's part to let him of his worship. And, namely, when he seeth a knight hath done so great labor, for peraventure, said Sir Lancelot, his quarrel is here this day, and peraventure he is best beloved with this lady of all that be here. For I see well he paineth himself, and enforceth him to do great deeds. And therefore, said Sir Lancelot, as for me, this day he shall have the honor, though it lay in my power to put him from it. I would not. There was an unpleasant little episode that day, which for reasons of state I struck out of my priest's report. You will have noticed that Gary was doing some great fighting in the engagement. When I say Gary, I mean Sir Gareth. Gary was my private pet name for him. It suggests that I had a deep affection for him, and that was the case. But it was a private pet name only, and never spoken aloud to anyone, much less to him. Being a noble, he would not have endured a familiarity like that from me. Well, 
To proceed. I sat in the private box set apart for me as the king's minister. While Sir Dinadan was waiting for his turn to enter the lists, he came in there and sat down and began to talk, for he was always making up to me, because I was a stranger and he liked to have a fresh market for his jokes, the most of them having reached that stage of wear where the teller has to do all of the laughing himself while the other person just looks sick. I had always responded to his efforts as well as I could, and felt a very deep and real kindness for him, too, for the reason that if by malice of fate he knew the one particular antidote which I had heard oftenest and had most hated and most loathed all my life, he had at least spared it me. It was one which I had heard attributed to every humorous person who had ever stood on American soil, from Columbus down to Artemis Ward. It was about a humorous lecturer who flooded an ignorant audience with the killingest jokes for an hour and never got a laugh. And then, when he was leaving, some gray simpletons wrung him gratefully by the hand and said it had been the funniest thing they had ever heard, and it was all they could do to keep from laughing right out in meeting. That antidote never saw the day it was worth the telling. And yet... I had sat under the telling of it hundreds and thousands and millions and billions of times, and cried and cursed all the way through. Then who can hope to know what my feelings were, to hear this armor-plated ass start in on it again, in the murky twilight of tradition before the dawn of history? Well, even Lactanius might be referred to as the late Lactanius, and the Crusades wouldn't be born for five hundred years yet. Just as he finished, the call-boy came. So, haw-hawing like a demon, he went rattling and clanking out like a crate of loose casings, and I knew nothing more. It was some minutes before I came to, and then I opened my eyes just in time to see Sir Gareth fetch him an awful welt, and I unconsciously, out with the prayer, I hope to gracious he's killed. But by ill luck, before I had got half through with the words, Sir Gareth crashed into Sir Sagamore le desirous and sent him thundering over his horse's crupper, and Sir Sagamore caught my remark and thought I meant it for him. Well, whenever one of those people got a thing into his head, there was no getting it out again. I knew that, so I saved my breath and offered no explanations. As soon as Sir Sagamore got well, he notified me that there was a little account to be settled between us, and he named a day three or four years in the future, place of settlement, the lists, where the offense had been given. I said I would be ready when he got back. You see, he was going for the Holy Grail. The boys all took a flyer at the Holy Grail now and then. It was a several years' cruise. They always put in in the long absence snooping around, in the most conscientious way, though none of them had any idea where the Holy Grail really was, and I don't think any of them actually expected to find it or would have known what to do with it if he had run across it. 
You see, it was just the northwest passage of that day, as you may say. That was all. Every year expectations went out wholly grailing, and next year relief expeditions went out to hunt for them. There was worlds of reputation in it, but no money. Why, they, they actually wanted me to put in. Well, I should smile. End of chapter 9